This holiday season, the best deal in wireless can only be found at Mint Mobile. Right now, when you switch to Mint Mobile and buy any three-month plan, you'll get another three months for free. As the first company to sell premium wireless service online only, Mint Mobile lets you order and activate from home with eSIM. While saving tons on phone plans starting at just 15 bucks a month. For a limited time, buy any three-month Mint Mobile plan and get three more months free by going to mintmobile.com slash save. That's mintmobile.com slash save. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash save. You're listening to Pop, the History Makers, with me, Steve Blame. Hi, everyone, and welcome. This week, something really special, an interview with Westbam. But I'm talking about his early days, right up until the fall of the Berlin Wall. So in this first part of the podcast, it's about his early days in Munster and his journey to Berlin. Westbam, Maximilian Lentz. Max, hello. As you know, I'm Steve Blame or Stephen James or Steve. So there are six of us on this little Zoom call, which is good. Now, we know each other a bit. And during my uh, MTV days, we had the occasional meet where I would interview you and then we would go out. And I can remember about three nights of total excess. And I promised myself, well, actually, I promised myself that I might talk about them later, especially the one in Berlin. But you probably yeah, yeah. don't even that was remember wonderful. that. That's <laughs> okay. But yeah. firstly, I wanted to talk about um I mean this is really going back early into into your childhood. Because if I think about my childhood, I had extremely in some ways conventional parents in a dysfunctional family, but I was very conventionally brought up. Yeah, and okay. you were in a way in a in a very opposite type family, in a very unconventional family. Can you tell me what your parents were like and what it was like being a child of that type of parent? Well, uh, well, you know, there's this um, special German thing, you know, like I think that all that hippie thing in the 60s when I was a small kid at the end of the 60s, early 70s, um, well, uh, uh, all the, the you know you know all these stories about the sixty eighters they call them in German you know 68 uh, and and they were like you know since since um, their parents were like the people of that war and the Nazi times they were convinced they had to build a different future and ever since the Nazi regime was so about authoritarian stuff they decided they had to go the exact opposite way anti-authoritarian which in a way is kind of a you know and that's what i say about this whole generation it's kind of an extremist thing you know and the opposite to from my view today of the opposite of nazism would be anti-extremism but it was kind of extreme so you um, give you a little example you were like invited to because like young boys if they are uh, allowed to do anything you know what we you, 
would enjoy doing was like start fires in the house, you know, in the uh, in the bathroom, you know, in the bathtub. We would put all the papers in there and light a fire, you know, because that was really fun, you know. Or even, you know, like um, uh, to some extent, I remember there were like weird stories. We were like, uh, like uh, throwing with um, cats and stuff and catching them and stuff like that. And from my view of today, I'd say you tell a child, don't do that. That animal is panicking, you know, don't do it. You know, it's torture, you know. For me, the biggest culture shock was when I came to school and suddenly there was rules and, you know, uh, when I was six years old and I was this hippie child and I came into school, they said, sit down now, do this, do that. So when you say hippie, you know, what comes yeah. into my head is that it's a cliche, but what comes into my head yeah. is, you know, uh, sex or free love and, yeah. you know, smoking dope and uh, just being free with everything, basically. Was it, was that part of it as well? That were they? Well, 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 the kids weren't like part of that. No, obviously not, but but I mean, the adults were. (laughs) In in those days, I know other stories, you know, where, you know, that even haunts the Greens in Germany, that they had like hippie-ish kind of people that would say, well, the child has a sexuality and, you know, it, it wouldn't go into that with us. But, you know, like there, there were like, also that was kind of a part of that hippie-ish thing, you know. By the way, my mother hates it when I, I say we were hippies because now she's old, she's over 80 years old, and now she talks about hippies the way the old Nazis would talk about hippies, you know, these dirty, lazy people, you know. Now, you know, like all the old hippies kind of don't want to be called old hippies, not old at least my mother, you know, and now she doesn't like it. But uh, so, um, so from my mother's point of view, she wasn't a hippie at all. You were brought up in a sort of very culturally, I would call it in a sense, privileged background. I mean that in a positive way, because your mother was an artist or still is an artist. Your father was a professor in the, at the university. So there are intellectuals and also culturally aware um how did that how did that initially rub off on you what what was the the surroundings the sort of cultural surroundings that you had yeah yeah well you know like um actually that i'm quite that's the best part of my uh my education so to say um if anti-authoritarian can be education at all but um uh, this, uh, uh, while uh, being um, inspired to uh, open yourself up to new ideas and also that hippie-ish kind of belief you can change the world and do something and ignore all the old world and all the old rules and all the old stuff and come up with something revolutionary, you know? And that kind of like stuck with me uh, when I was, uh, you know, a teenager, I then logically turned into a punk rocker, you know, because that was the next kind of development of like, uh, yeah, well, we are so free. We are even against hippies, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and, and for me, punk rock was the next kind of like musical revolution. And here's an example. I had this concept of freedom in my mind that 
and that fitted kind of to the punk concept that you don't have to learn to play an instrument to play an instrument, you know, kind of, I don't, and that's, that's with me until today. I would, I admire musicians that play Wagner in an orchestra and, you know, and they, they uh, uh, rehearse for like five hours a day. But personally, I've never rehearsed. I've always, I like to do things as, as I have the idea. And I don't like the praxis idea, but I like the conceptual idea, the idea you can make something up and revolutionize anything. If they have expectations of you, because if they, you know, you're saying they're hippies and I know uh, uh, that this sort of feeling is they, they're letting you find your way in a sense, yeah, that's yeah, what yeah, you're giving. Yeah, yeah. But they, they must have had some expectations of you. And when you talk about when you're young and you set fire to things in the bathroom, you're obviously yeah. trying to get a reaction out of them. Was there anything that yeah. you did that got a reaction out of them? I only remember one time, like when we were, had like kind of a discussion, then we were like around 11 years old and then we kind of destroyed a cupboard or something, you know, to see whether that works out. And then I know my mother burst into tears for one time because, she, you know, she couldn't be, you know, that whole uh, special, I guess with boys, destruction and this anger energy is something really that comes natural. And that's anti-hippie-ish, you know? So uh, um, the hippies have the belief um, uh, well, it's all education, you know, these Nazi generation people have been miseducated, you know, and if you educate a boy to play with puppets and the, maybe even the girl to play with guns just to turn it around, that will work. But I don't think from now, uh, nowadays, uh, 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 from uh, knowledge, I wouldn't agree because they then later found out that even with primates, you know, if you give like a primate kid, a male one, the, to choose between a gun and a puppet, he goes for the gun and the primate girl goes for the puppet, you know? So that seems to be quite even beyond being a, you know, that's that's a mammal, you know? And that's uh, that seems to be kind of very much engraved into the DNA, aggression, that's what I believe is, a, a, especially of the, the boys, obviously, also the girls, is, is a part of that, you know, so... Um, but you went for the boxing gloves, didn't you? I did all fighting sports. I did Aikido, uh, Taekwondo, and uh, and boxing. In the end, boxing was the roughest, you know? Yeah, but they must have wondered why, why you were training, you know, why were you doing boxing? Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly what my mother said. She said, well, you know, um, I never hit you. And all you do is go, <laughs> go join a boxing club. Yeah, that 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 was. She was kind of, kind of smiling, but kind of, well, what a weird world, you know. The, the so you you don't want your kids to be ever, you know, brutalized or anything done to them, and you held yourself back even in the moments of biggest frustration or provocation by the kids. You, you know. Um, and, but that one thing I remember when I had kids, you know, because my mom, mother would always kind of like make it into a, a sacrifice that she 
although she was beaten as a kid, she wouldn't beat her kids. Now, obviously, I'm, I wasn't beaten as a kid, but I never felt it was a sacrifice that I didn't uh, hit my kids, you know? I never did, and, and I didn't feel they could be thankful for it or anything like that, you know? So... Uh, Thank yeah. God we've got that out of the way, because that could have been a difficult one. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, so right. listen, right. The, what was the music that they listened to at home? Yeah, well, you know, like, I, I, dif I remember, like, really different things. Obviously, one thing that has, like, quite an influence on me was, like, Rolling Stones, my father, and, the, like, the loudness, you know, when you're a kid, it hurts your ears. I, I was quite shocked, you know, in those days, Kids would go in cars, you know, they wouldn't get beaten and we would be hippies, but they wouldn't drive with a safety belt. Parents would smoke in their car, you know, and, and all of that. So uh, and parents would listen to music very loud or make kids stay up until tw two o'clock in the morning or stuff like that. So uh, which I've, yeah, kind of like that makes up for the not getting beat up, you know. <laughs> But uh, um, uh, what, what, yeah, well, Rolling Stones. I from the sixties. I seem to remember like I can only tell about the things that had an influence on me. I remember like because probably they listened to more, you know. But what stuck in my head was this weird like Brazilian song, the super soft one, you know. Oh, the Ipanema. Yeah, it's kind of like weird, kind of making uh, you know like even made me afraid, you know? Kind of like, nah, 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 nah. It, it felt scary to me, you know? Some disco songs felt scary to me. Do the hustle, you know? I remember, and that wasn't like a favorite of my parents, but I remember like sitting in the back of the car um, of my aunt, and in the radio they were playing "Do the Hustler," very kind of like I guess positive song. It got me so scared and so much aware that one day I had to die. You know, as a kid, I don't know why. So music always had a very strong influence on me, and in some surprising ways. You're listening to Pop, The History Makers, with me, Steve Blame. Just so I want to move on slightly, because your father knew jo Joseph Boyce, didn't he? That's quite a, a thing that um, my parents met at the Art uh, Academy of Düsseldorf, which at the time was probably the most influential in all of the world. And they were uh, um, co-students with in one class with Gerhard Richter and Sigmar Polke were like, some of the most important artists of the you know of the times to come and and Joseph Beuys uh, uh, um, I don't know I might have met him as a kid even my, 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 my and my father always said what well, later when Beuys was so famous well you know when Beuys was talking to me he always made so many drawings and I wish I kept all these drawings <laughs> you know but uh, 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 so all you were left with was a little drawing with uh, saying to Otto, and that's my father, Josef, and blah, blah, blah. So, uh, and we found found a drawing of Sigmar Polke in one of the old uh, cupboards, you know? So um, anyway, 
But, you know, for example, Boris, I realized at the time he seemed like a weirdo to me, but he's even talked with a very similar accent to my father, you know, this Rhinelandish kind of accent. Uh, and um, today, I'd say, yeah, Joseph Beuys is one of these, you know, what can you expect of an artist? Today, I go on the motorway and I see a lot of stones by the side, you know, and I think, yeah, that's art, it's beautiful. And that way to look at the world, to me, uh, through my father, comes from Joseph Beuys, you know, so like the, the whole idea, that's for me, uh, one of the central points I'd say in my life uh, is the boys defined art as uh, um, changing something. So uh, any type of change. So if you um, uh, uh, um, make yourself a cup of tea, you change a little bit. So that's art, you know, kind of like um, if you made yourself a dinner and you, uh, um, how do you say it? You, Stir. Stir it. Yes. And, I'm, you know, ever since I, all these weird days, I, I haven't practiced my English enough. Anyway, you stir it up, stir up your uh, chocolate. It's art. You're an artist. Everybody is an artist. That's such a beautiful. And seriously, if I stir up my, or if I scramble my eggs and I put them on a plate, I say how beautiful. So all that background is really with me. It's it's true. So in that way, you know, I've I've got things to criticize, like everybody about the parents and what mistakes they made, like educating you. But in a lot of ways, I feel I'm I'm quite a child of my parents. That's true. You're also more than that in a sense because you're you also had a mentor and someone that was really stayed with you, you know, most of your, yeah. uh, of your life. And yeah. I presume he was connected to the family, William, William Rutger. William, yeah. And how, what was his relationship to the family? Was he a family friend or was he a, an actual relation? Uh, yeah, yeah, well, uh, he, uh, uh, he came in, um, into the uh, family through my father. He was an assistant to my father at Art uh, Academy in, in uh, PH in Münster. And uh, later he became uh, uh, the spouse of my mother and they even married later on. So, <clears throat> um, and with me, he always seemed to have like, you know, that's my, my impression. I might be completely wrong, you know, when I say it, but like, uh, I always get the feeling from my parents that I was like the golden boy. That kind of, this might be completely wrong, you know? Maybe they thought nothing like that, or they thought my small brother was the golden boy or my, my small sister or whatever, or my big sister. But, so there was four of us. So, but that was the, the vibe I got from them. And kind of, this was, quite taken on by William. William kind of like discovered me as a special person, but it wasn't quite uh, um, clear what uh, my speciality would be, you know? <laughs> so like, but he, he, he took me on the road. So in the 
early 80s, when I was a teenager, he was quite into all that political fight against, uh, you know, what eventually became the Greens, against uh, uh, nuclear energy, you know, Gorleben and stuff. And also kind of like, you know, legalize it, obviously. And then... Um, um, and then with some sympathy, even like for like the fight against the state, the Bada Meinhof group, you know, some, some sympathy for that. So in the early 80s, he would take me to the earliest um, alternative press in Frankfurt. There were like, you know, the, uh, what be eventually became the Tats uh, in Germany, you know, came from the alternative press, a product of the 70s, early 80s. So I was drawing political little things against atomic energy and stuff, you know? And I even uh, did a, a book at the time that, and then already uh, with my drawings about school that I hated school, you know? It was called Schul Horror, School Horror, you know? And that had all my little drawings about school, about my hate of school. So typical anti-authoritarian. So, and at the time, uh, William was already my manager. So, and then uh, when I was 17, I was in, uh, William was living in Berlin I, and I joined him because anti-authoritarian, I didn't want to join the German army, you know, and in West Berlin, you didn't have to go. In those days, I, the nightlife, like ever since I was 15 with the new wave clubs and even tramping to, you know, hitchhiking to Berlin, nightlife was, was a big thing for me. And kind of like then uh, William introduced me to some clubs and kind of like I, that's when I got the idea, DJing, that's a fascinating job. You know? yeah, just, to, just to go back from that, because you talked about yeah. punk earlier, yeah, okay. and you yeah. were a punk in Munster before yeah. you, you went to Berlin, yeah. and you were probably one of the first punks in Munster, weren't you? So it must have been, yeah, 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 wasn't, it, wasn't right. it quite a difficult thing to be, uh, I, I, to be honest, I can tell you a story about me that in, I think the year that Elvis died, was it 76 in the summer uh, or 77? Yeah. I, I, 77, yeah. I think, I worked in, um, a factory in the summer and it was yeah. full of teddy boys and there was yeah, me yeah, yeah. and this guy who was completely a punk and me who loved punk music and when elvis yeah. died we laughed and they beat us all yeah. up <laughs> yeah, yeah. so well, you know similar, you know but because i'm you know munster is in the heart of the british sector of uh of uh, west germany you know northern westphalia was even like a british invention you know after the second world war and that's another major influence. I mean, growing up as a kid in Münster, you're like musically socialized by John Peel from BFBS and kind of like the also the soldier people that were like hanging out in most bars and kind of like kind of a rough neighborhood to grow up in, you know. So by the same time that punk influence was obviously a English influence. By the same time, you know, you had the worst enemies of punks in your neighborhood, British soldiers, and they would always like, you know, we're going to fucking kill you. Because you know why? You're a fucking punk. <laughs> you know, it was all like that. I have some experiences like that, you know. And 
And they say like, okay, you know the specials, you know Madness? These were like ska groups of more like Skinner kind of people, but we also listened to that. They said, name me 10 songs now. <laughs> so back in those days, I mean, um, what I take from those years is like the importance of music, you know? That, you know, like if you listen to the wrong type of music and therefore have the wrong type of haircut, you know, you might get killed for it, you know? That underlines the big role that music in those days played. It does, I think, in youth culture, it always does to some extent, but I feel that's one thing that has changed over the decades, you know? Uh, today, people have more things to identify with. Back in those days, music was, was played a major role, you know? I mean, I would say it's more homogenized today. And then back then there were more different types of styles, but you only belong to one groove in a sense at a time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It was like the 70s had some great variety of music from, yeah. you know, from all sorts of music, but you tended towards one thing and then moved on to the next thing. Yeah. Um, and as you said, you were a punk back then, but you were also in bands, weren't you? You were, yeah, you were yeah. active and playing. And weren't you a drummer? I was everything, you know, I was nothing and everything. So because, you know, as I say, you wouldn't rehearse. So it's hard to say somebody who doesn't rehearse to play the bass is a bassist. Somebody who doesn't rehearse to play the drums, but he still does, you know, is he a drummer, you know? And William got me my first um, uh, cock synthesizer. You know, uh, then I was 14. And so I, I joined, joined that because like punk rock to me and my homies, you know, in the very beginning, um, it wasn't a, a working, you know, some people say like, why, well, uh, you know, how do you come from punk rock to techno? That's completely opposite. In those days, in the early days of German new wave, Neue Deutsche Welle punk rock, you had it was a thing introduced to German society more by intellectuals from Dusseldorf again, rather than it was a working class, you know, that British kind of like UK subs, um, Sham 69, if the case are you know, you know, oi, 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 you know, that was, so that was kind of like, we had some sympathy for that, but we were listening to more like, groups like Wire, and then a lot of like, you know, we, we were, had some like pogo hits, but by the same time were experimental, you know? Uh, and so like, for me, although looking back, I, I'd say, I have to agree to David Bowie saying, well, uh, the punk is a great thing, but I miss the music. I, I, at the time, I wouldn't have understood what he meant, you know? But I understand now, yeah, that whole, you know, in the end, it was, you know, yeah, yeah, wow. It, it was rather, looking back, it was like more tending to the 50s to some extent. The simplicity of the original, you ain't nothing but a hound dog or something, you know, like it, it was, uh, it wasn't what I felt at the time. There was a revolution in, in music. It wasn't exactly a musical revolution. But then again, 
people like Daniel Miller, you know, Fat Gadget, the early Depeche Mode, uh, uh, um, Throbbing Gristle, Cabaret Voltaire. These were all like fairly uh, um, experimental electronic groups. And so, uh, so uh, the, the, the step from, from, from uh, that understanding of punk rock to dance music wasn't that far. How old were you when you went to Berlin? This was a semester that you had free or you took off to go to Berlin and visit William, wasn't it? And you were, you were still at school. No, no, no. I went to school in, in Berlin uh, and I loved it. It was, I, I, I must say like there was half a year, but then due to the different systems, schooling systems in Berlin and Westphalia, I would have stayed in Berlin straight, you know, but they would have made me go one, I would have, because of the different system, would have had to repeat a whole year. And then I decided, and you know, and I listen, always listen to my parents and they said, well, everybody has to get a, a high school degree, you know? So, and I didn't want to do one more year. So I stayed only half a year and then finished my school in Münster, you know, and then went back to Berlin. But what was your impression of Berlin? Because in those days, of course, this is pre-Berlin yeah. wall coming down. Yeah. And Berlin yeah. was a very different and special yeah. and unique yeah. place in the world. So could yeah. you sort of, describe yeah, yeah. it to me in terms of how you felt about it as a very young man going there and seeing Berlin. Yeah, well, that was uh, early in the, when I was 15, I was in Berlin for the first time on my own with my punk rock fans, friends. My punk rock friends were a little bit older than me. So like I was the youngest uh, and we went by uh, uh, hitchhiking, partly by train, um, especially through East Germany, we took the train, you know, uh, and then uh, and then we ended up in this island, this fascinating island, you know, um, that from the first time I went there, I, and I came from Bahnhof Zoo, you know, and I read Wir Kinder from Bahnhof Zoo, from Christiane yes. F and stuff. So that story, that city, you know, the wall city, you know, there was this famous song by Duff, um, Kebab Träume in der Mauerstadt, uh, uh, which was all about Berlin, you know. Um, so there was a place um, uh, of craving and of fantasizing about it. And, um, um, and, uh, and from the first day I was there, in those days it was like this island that was kept by the allies against Russia, basically, and as like a forefront to like push Western propaganda into the Eastern Bloc, you know, which I think uh, turned out to be very useful in the end, you know. And I realized, looking back, I was a part of that, you know, and I probably did serve my country more as a DJ in West Berlin than as a Bundeswehr soldier, you know? 